0: Okay, well, God bless you all. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you for coming back. Uh, That's an encouragement to me. And um, uh, today we're going to be talking uh, about uh, finishing well and finishing strong. I have to repeat what I said yesterday, um, that when you pray about a message, and I take these things very serious every time I speak, whether it's in front of a group of eight guys in my house or uh, an auditorium of people, uh, the same prayer and preparation goes in. And when, as I said yesterday also, you've done 18 books and uh, literally hundreds, hundreds of messages, and someone asks you to speak at a conference like this, uh, that means so much to me because of our sons and my wife being here. And you wonder what you're going to pick. And uh, Pastor teed up the ball on the second message, just like he did on the first one, without knowing, but that's the Holy Spirit. And in one of the songs the boys did again this morning, what did they talk about? They talked about life after death and our life here. In one of the songs, I forget the actual words, but it, it's amazing. And again, my wife Louise and uh, daughter-in-law Thelma, and Dan and Tom are in back, and appreciate them being here. Thank you for being here. I'll try to do a better job on time management to give us time at the end. Uh, we have a lot to go through, so put on your seat belts. But uh, let me pray, and then we'll launch into this. Father, we thank you for this opportunity and for these wonderful people that I'm falling in love with uh, daily, uh, and um, I just ask you, Father, that I can uh, step aside, that you hide me, hide me behind a cross, that uh, as James 1.5 uh, says, that I don't want my wisdom, I want your wisdom and your words, And so help me, Father, to uh, say those things that uh, amplify you and your spirit and that help these people to um, come to some of the realizations I have about what it means to finish well and finish strong. And we would thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen. One of my sons yesterday, after um, the... um, The presentation said something to me. And at the time, I I was, I guess, uh, dealing with another matter in my head about uh, attendance and whatnot. But he said something that rang true with me. And I want to revisit that. He said, Dad, your most powerful slide was the last slide that you went right through. And he's right. That was the application slide. And what he didn't know—it's on the back of your program. It was the last slide, but I'm to lead us into uh, today's topic. I, w- I want to go back to that last slide. It's not up on your screen. If you weren't here yesterday, there's some handout sheets. And did did you all get a sheet for today? Yeah. Oh. Can can uh, my boys are already on top of it. So I, I wanna talk about uh, yesterday uh, just a little bit and that last slide, because that was the application. That, that was, that was the, uh, the big pitch. And um, I wanna talk about that. Um, first of all, uh, on the application part, as we, we talk about the this subject that we were um, engaged with, and as we looked at uh, the, the subject matter of coping with uh, stress, overcoming barriers, that kind of thing, uh, I would say this. Uh, first of all, create margins in your life. Remember Mark 631, Mark 631 that I gave during the message where Jesus took time and told his disciples to take time to get away by yourself to a lonely place and rest a while and have fellowship with the Lord. Secondly, to cast all your burdens on Christ uh, because he cares for you. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 7. And again, the sheets are being passed out. There's some from yesterday. 1 Peter 5, 7, that we are to cast our cares, our burdens, on the Lord. This is a practical thing that we can do in terms of coping with the barriers, overcoming the barriers. Thirdly, and, and this, this uh, may seem weird, like, Jim, why would you mention Exercise. Because exercise has been so important to me in my recovery from depression. Uh, and, And I didn't go into that and I thought after as I was repeating the message that I gave yesterday, I wonder if the folks think I'm still having a lot of issues. No, thank God, we found out it was a genetic thing. I take a little pill every day. And it gives me the chemicals that my brain doesn't function because of genetics, and you know, sure I have down times, but uh, particularly I was kind of hoping one of you were going to give me a Corvette after this thing. But uh, anyhow, the the point is, exercise is so important. In Psalms eight, you'll see on your on your program. Sir, can I borrow your sheet? Thank you. This. At the the bottom, here, Psalms 8 on that third one, exercise regularly. Okay, why would he put that in there and put Psalms 8? Mm -hmm. Psalms 8, if you read it, talks about God's awesomeness and how he has created the outdoors for us. And for me, whether it's you all going in your backyard with a cup of tea and your Bible or just taking a walk around the neighborhood, just the exercise and being God's outdoors. I mean, uh, we, we're in a community now where everything's boxing us in. You know, shopping centers and malls and all these things are boxing us in and trapping us. And, 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 and I, can, I just feel so connected to God in his outdoors. So that's Psalms 8. Uh, the, the fourth point uh, in coming to closure on this was cultivate healthy relationships. And by the way, on that sheet, you have uh, Ephesians 4.30. It should be 4.32. 4.32. Uh, we uh, came here for 10 year, uh, over 10 years as a family, to family camp. And that board behind there that has a Bible verse, that board used to be this thick. But in 44 years, I keep planing it and sanding it, and now it's about like this thick. But every year there was a verse, and one year it was Ephesians 4.32. It's written in my Bible. I have a list of the verses. And it says, be gentle and kind to one another, especially in the household of faith. What's a household of faith? It's us and particularly our families. And we need to learn to be kind and gentler to people in general. And and that's an important thing of uh, 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 dealing with barriers. And then secondly, uh, or uh, fifthly, meditate on God's word, Psalms 77, 1 to 2. That as we meditate on his word, as we read his word, as we get his word into our heart, Uh, as we know Jesus. And then uh, one of you came up after the lady in the back, and she said, do you believe in support groups? And uh, to me, I guess that was just such ingrained in what I do and uh, uh, encouraging churches, particularly with men, to have uh, dynamic small groups. Uh, You bet. And support groups are really important. So if you're going through something or whatever, uh, get with a support group. Get with your pastor. Get with a doctor or someone that can help you in overcoming these barriers. Uh, The book that um, uh, we uh, have over there, uh, Overcoming Barriers Men Face, I mentioned to you talks about overcoming fear, overcoming loneliness, Uh, overcoming isolation, which is a big problem with our youth today. They're isolating, they're not communicating. Uh, And so, uh, Louise, will be over there, we're giving you these just above our cost. But I wanna thank my son for bringing that to my attention so that I could come back and have closure on that section, and hopefully that's a little bit helpful, and will explain those slides to you a little better. Now, launching in to this whole thing of finishing well, finishing strong. Some of us are here today, and we have started well. That isn't to say we haven't had problems. We've had obstacles in our lives and whatnot, but just as Pastor said, that's helped identify us and help build our character, okay? But here's the thing. Uh, We are here and and some of us have had a life where we discovered God's truth early in our life. And we were to be able to build on that and we started well and more likely we're going to finish well. Uh, For some of us here, uh, we may be, it may have been halftime before we kind of got it together, maybe before we even accepted Christ later in our life, and, and we didn't start well, but we want to finish well. And then there are some that uh, are in the room that are saying, well, uh, I haven't yet retired yet, Jim, uh, but I'm kind of beginning to think about it, and I'm, I'm wondering what the next chapter might look like. And so we're going to be talking about these things today in that light. I want to share a little story to set the stage uh, with you. Um, I've had the privilege, and I don't know why, uh, I'm not sure I can explain it. I have a master's in business, and I'm always curious about business and and, uh, public administration and all this stuff. And so consequently, a lot of business leaders gravitate to me to for us to talk about things on a spiritual level, but yet that has practical application to their companies or their businesses. One such man was in the Bay Area. His name was Bob. I won't give you his last name. He owned a big franchise company that had multiple locations. And he was in one of my Bible study groups. And he asked if I'd come to his office and meet with him. And I was delighted and privileged to do that. I mean it out of a humble heart. And he said, Jim, I'm really having problems. I just sold this company, big company. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do with myself. He said, I just built an entire building in in back of my house. That's a shop, a wood shop. And I've got every modern tool you can think of. But he says, I'm afraid I'm going to be bored out there chopping up, making sawdust. And, and I just, you know, I love woodworking, but I, I don't want to do it eight hours a day. And I, I don't feel like I'm gifted or equipped to, to go into ministry, um, yet I have a heart to serve the Lord. And I I just need some help, and I thought about it for a while, and we prayed, and I said, Bob, let me ask you something. How many kids do you have in your neighborhood? He goes, oh, we got kids all over the place. I said, as you open up your front door and you look up and down that street, do you realize that 50%, if it's the national norm, of those kids are in a home where there's no biological father? There may be a grandma or grandpa, there may be an aunt, an uncle, or a stepdad that's come in, but there's no biological father. A role model. I said, why don't you take some of those kids and invite them into that pristine shop and teach them the safety on those tools. And uh, they have to he says, well, where would the spiritual part come in? And I said, well, how, you know, we all like uh, in wood shop the lathe. Man, we'd always work extra hard to have more lathe time because you can really chop wood up quick. And, and I said, tell them that they get X amount of minutes on a lathe for every Bible verse they memorize, and you help do a devotional ahead of time, give them a set of Bible verses, And then if they memorize those verses, they get more lathe time next time they come. And then I said, why don't you get a project together, like building a boat or something, that you all can use. A year later, he called me. He had 12 boys. Half of them did not have a dad at home. They were single-parent kids. They had built a 16-foot canoe. These kids had memorized scripture. They had grown close with this man. And here's a guy, a brilliant guy, who had this company. Didn't feel drawn to ministry in a, in a traditional way. He Couldn't sing, he couldn't preach. But he loved kids. And he made a difference in the life of those kids. And he invited me up to Del Val Reservoir where they launched the canoe and four or five of them would get in the canoe together and row out and come in with big smiles and the next group would go out. The point is of that story, friends, is finishing well and finishing strong. God wants us to finish well and strong. So let's do, go into some definitions here. What, does it, what do I mean by finishing well? as I researched that topic for this book, and by the way, this book came out of, let me start there first, why did I write this book? Uh, For years, I've had the privilege, the honor, of meeting with businessmen in their offices where they have invited other men into their conference rooms, up to 40 men, business leaders, kind of like the Christian businessmen's group, and have me talk about a book that they all would read a chapter ahead of time, spend 20 minutes talking, summarizing it, because, you know, most men didn't read it. And so, yeah, summarize it for us, Jim. And, <laughs> and then open discussion and have conversation. And all kinds of things came out. Uh, you know our things guys were working on as far as sins and other stuff. And over the course of time I used a lot of different books. I, we started with halftime, uh, Bob B- Bufford's book, B- Buford's book, halftime. and we went to other books and then uh, the more and more I was writing, we started using some of my books. And so uh, the book before last, uh, I decided to take, this whole concept of finishing well and finishing strong. And some of the principles that we taught and learned that also, by the way, are, are for the women too, not just the men, and put them into a book. So that's how we came up with this book. So finishing well isn't doesn't mean that we're finishing better than someone else. It's not a measurement. It's, it's not... Uh, Joe uh, got 80 on the score and I want to get 81. It's not that kind of thing. No, finishing well is about character. It's, It's about the content of our character and our conduct. Are we doing things well? Meaning, are we keeping in the lines, the guidelines of this book to the best of our ability? We're not perfect, but are we we generally working towards the goals, the the theology, uh, the the Ten Commandments, the the, the Scripture God has given us, that we can measure ourselves by Scripture, not by Joe or Bill or someone else. We measure ourselves well. It's how we finish well. And so finishing well is that uh, part, it's a life well lived, a life well lived. Are we being a godly man and a godly woman? Are we striving to follow Jesus? How are we handling temptation, obedience, faith? Uh, What is our daily discipline that we have for ourselves? What are the things we say to ourselves? I can't go there or do that because it could impact uh, some weakness I have. So that's what finishing well. You recall uh, in Mark 7:37, 37, uh, the book of Mark, Mark is kind of standing back as an observer. And he's saying... Jesus, I just saw you heal a man who is deaf by putting your, your fingers in his ears. I just saw you heal someone who is blind. i just seen you do all these miracles. But Jesus, he doesn't quite say this, but he infers it. You have done it with balance. You, you, have, you have not lost your spirit. Uh, you are not rushed. You are not hurried. Uh, You have taken life and done it. And Mark says this, he has done all things, what's the word? Well. Well. He has done all things well. So Jesus wasn't concerned about meeting others' expectations. He was concerned about following God's plan for his life. And therefore, Mark could say, and others could say, he did things well. You see, one of the things that I had to learn late in life, and you'll understand that by the story I'm going to share with you in a few minutes. It isn't important who we are. It's important whose we are. See, my credentials, my certificates, my training, my education, my experiences, my accomplishments, my defeats, or whatever, that doesn't define me. What defines me is I'm a child of the King. And when we can own that, I mean own it at a deep level, and it's taken me most of my life to get there, because I I, I was so worried about other people's expectations, you know, about being the best. And and, um, it's important that we understand whose we are rather than who we are. The second part of this finishing well, finishing strong is the, the whole issue of what does finishing strong mean? That doesn't mean physical. You know, I used to have pecs, good pecs, and those pecs are down here now. I got two dark dots down here. They, they fell. I used to have strong arms, not big arms, but strong. I, my wife says, open this jar, I go go, I'll go get pliers. I'm not even going to try. My point is, it's not about strength. Okay, God forgive me. Louise said I should ask for forgiveness when I uh, get off track here. But anyhow, uh, the idea of finishing strong is about how we apply ourselves to finishing whatever God has put before us. You recall Paul said, therefore I run thus, meaning how he looks at life, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air... But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, what's he talking about? He's saying that finishing strong for Paul is keeping the faith, is following through. As Pastor said, he's beat up in prison, all gouged up, it, swollen lips, swollen eyes from being beaten and cold and everything. But what's, what's he doing? He's writing letters to the churches that he helped start. He's singing, he's praying, he's finishing strong, even though he's on his deathbed, even though he's on his deathbed. So it's how he finishes Strong. Winston Churchill said this, We make a living by what we get, yet we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, yet we make a life by what we give. Our servant's heart, our ability to give our gifts, our talents, our life and breath to something as Bob did. A guy who is going to be retired, but now he is revolutionizing a whole neighborhood of kids. The whole idea of finishing strong. My story to set the stage, because what we're talking about We're talking about defining moments happening, defining moments. This is hard for me to talk about, particularly with family here. Uh, But um, in the 70s, this uh, thing I described for those that were here yesterday about this young man that grew up in a tough neighborhood and uh, strive for excellence, strive to be all things, caught up with me in the 1970s. I was not only uh, a department head now with the East Bay Regional Park District, the youngest one they had, Um, I was teaching college part-time Because I eventually thought I wanted to be a college professor, so I was teaching college uh, two days, uh, two nights a week. Uh, I was on three boards of directors, uh, YMCA and a couple other boards. I was in a competitive bass fisherman, so I was doing tournaments on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays, not every week, but I was in the competitive level. We just started a TV fishing series called Fishing Tales, so I was a TV co-host. There were a a number of other things that I could take another five minutes telling you about because I was trying to be important rather than do what's important. I, I was more worried about being recognized and receiving the trophies and the honors and all this stuff. Well, uh, during that time, I'd gone to three cardiologists because I was having heart heart problems. And every one of them said, you got an athlete's heart. You have a low pulse. You have good cholesterol. There's nothing wrong with your heart. It's your lifestyle. And I was like that cartoon of Frank and Ernest when they were in a doctor's office, and they said in the cartoon strip, Doc, don't tell me not to burn the candle at both ends. Tell me where to get more wax. (laughs) And in, in uh, so many words, that's what I was saying to him, is, "You've got to help me because I've got all this stuff going, and I'm not going to stop it. And so give me some tranquilizers. Help me." So now I'm taking tranquilizers. And I'm still going to church on Sundays. I, I call myself a Christian, and my wife says, "Honey, um, our boys were se- uh, seven. And she says, uh, I heard through our church that there's this place called Mount Hermon and that they're having a parenting conference with a guy by the name of Jim Dobson. And she said, I looked at all your schedules. You're not teaching on Saturday. You don't have a bass tournament. Uh, You don't have a board meeting. Uh, We're going. And I said, oh, man, go up to a stuffy Christian conference with a bunch of old people sitting around (laughs) for a weekend? Yeah, three days. Okay. So we come up. And on the way up, there was a couple with us that were going to adopt children. And they thought we had done a super job with Dan and Tom. In fact, their in-laws had a cabin right here at Mount Hermon. So we went up with them. And on the way up, he's in the front seat, Jerry, and he says to me, Jim. I'm gonna be a dad, I'm adopting a child, and you guys have done a fantastic job with Dan and Tom. What's the secret? Oh, well, Jerry, you just gotta spend some quality time with the kid. I take, <laughs> I take them fishing, uh, I come in with my flashlight at night when they're asleep after my meetings and I kiss them, and, and I tell them I love them and I'm proud of them. Oh, okay. All right. So we get here late, and we walk right in this auditorium, and it's packed, and the seats are in the back. Uh, excuse me, there were no seats in the back, so we had to go kind of midway up, and we squeeze in, and he's all, Jim Dobson's already speaking. And we're kind of getting settled in, and I'm kind of getting the lay of the land, and I'm starting to listen to what he's saying, the biblical principles of parenting, what it takes to be a good dad and mom and all these things. And he kind of stops in the middle of this and says, and by the way, anybody that would tell you quantity, quality time is more important than quantity time and full of baloney. <laughs> and I go, oh my gosh, and Jerry... <laughs> Right on, Jim, and oh my, I went home with a spear through my heart. It changed my life. Everything that I told you about, everything, I quit. I told my dad, I'm, I'm quitting the Regional Park District. He said, you just got the highest percentage raise of anyone in the district. You just told me that, yeah and I've turned in my resignation. Now, to a Depression-era parent who's saying, are you crazy? You have a job and you're quitting? What are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I don't know. I just know that I have found God in a different way. And Mount Hermon and Jim Dobson and my patient wife and my kids. They, they, they are uh, responsible for this change. And my first responsibility is to learn to love God in a deeper way. And my second responsibility is to be a better husband. And my third responsibility is I'm going to pour my life into these kids, because for seven years they haven't had a dad. They've had an absentee father. That was in 1978. I got a new job as city manager. I defined barriers and and margins in my life. I no longer fished tournaments. I no longer wrote for three magazines and I no longer taught college. And the boys got into Boy Scouts like I had, became Eagle Scouts, and we had great time together. And then in 1981, three years later, my heart was stopping. My lifestyle had changed. I was no longer taking tranquilizers to get through, but I was having heart problems. I was having heart failure. And I went in to see my internist, and he said, Jim, I can't find anything wrong with your heart you have anything else going on? I said, well, that ringing in my ear that we checked three years ago, I still have that going on. It's gotten louder. And he says, well, we have a new ENT guy in town. I'll send you to him. Well, I explained to him what was going on. He says, you know, I'm gonna, since the other ENT guy put you through hearing tests, your hearing's okay, but I'm gonna put you through a whole battery of tests. one of them was a tomogram, which is an inner ear study, an x-ray study of your ear. And I don't know what you think could be the worst news you could hear, but I had a girlfriend in sixth grade that died of a brain cancer, a brain tumor. And for whatever reason, I had locked that in my head that that would be the worst news I could get, that I'd lose my mind and die losing my mind. And I went in to see the doctor, the radiologist, and he was there, he looked over his glasses, my x-rays are there, and he says, well, young man, he says, "Um, if we don't do something quickly, you're gonna die of a brain tumor. He says, you got a five centimeter, five centimeters that big tumor in your head, pressing on your brain stem right where It controls your heart and blood pressure and all that. And your heart is stopping and your blood pressure is elevating because if we don't get that tumor off there, you're going to die. And he said, In getting it off, you may die (laughs) on the table. The night before the surgery, I walked into my man cave, and I looked at all the trophies that I had. I looked at the new management award i just got two weeks before as the top manager in California. And like Solomon, all I could see was dust. All I could see was that I had been chasing after the wind and at the most important thing were those two boys and my wife. And I'll tell you, that day when my dad came, picked me up to take me to the hospital, and I gave those two blonde-haired boys a hug, maybe for the last time, and felt their tears on my cheek, I go, where was I as a dad for seven years? And the loneliest place you can be is a hospital room, all sterile and white, the night before a surgery when you can't sleep, wondering that you just signed papers saying that you might not live. And what is it that people will remember you for? Whether you're going to remember me for the the TV programs I did or the trophies I won or whatever. It's like pastor said, no, they're just going to kick the dirt over. Would the city fall apart because their city manager's gone? No, they're gonna send out a resume and they'll have another guy in there. What, is I, what, is I, what would I be remembered for? One of the things, if we had time, well, I better complete that story and not do like I did yesterday, leave you hanging. Uh, nine and a half hour surgery, I lost hearing and balance on this side, totally. Uh, I had facial uh, weakness, uh, almost lost my eye, if it weren't for my wife uh, with her nursing background. She developed a chamber to keep my eye moist. Six weeks, of three weeks uh, in the hospital, a week, in, uh, 10 days in, in recovery, uh, in uh, critical care. And then three weeks in the hospital, three weeks at home, and they uh, had uh, bought a bed for me in my office in the city uh, to uh, be able to come back to work and then take naps to regain and recover. Uh, and uh, the only uh, uh, other than not being able to hear and having some balance issues occasionally, if you see me wobbling, it's not because I'm drinking my Italian wine, it's because I lose my balance every now and then. But um, I can't play the guitar anymore, uh, but I couldn't play the guitar before, so. Uh, so, um, that was a defining moment. and. What I have to share with you about finishing well and finishing strong is this. That we're all on the other side of midlife. I I think most of us anyway, except Susan, she's 30. But but here's the thing. Uh, I was going to do an exercise of have you put down your birth date and put a dash, and put a question mark, and I was going to have you all put in 100 years later, because I have that much faith that you'll live to to 100 years old. Uh, we have this lady that came up and gave me a big hug here. She's 95, and she looks like she's 30. <laughs> Anyhow, the point is, on that tombstone are two things that are more important than your name, that are more important when you were born, that are more important than when you die. There's two things on that tombstone. One is the dash. The dash. That's your life. What's your life been like and what would you hope people would remember you for? What do you want it to be from this day forward? Do you want to be like Bob and have that choice? Am I just going to retire and flop on a couch and watch Oprah? Or am I going to do something with my life of significance? Those are choices we all make. And here's the thing, folks. Pastor hit on it this morning, again, this whole Holy Spirit thing working through this weekend, but let me drill down on the issue of excuses. We can say we're not gifted enough. We can say I wasn't trained in the seminary. We can say it's the pastor's job or the missionary's job. We can say, well, let the young people do it. They got more energy than I do. We can say, well, I'm disabled. You know, uh, I've seen several people with the scooters and the electric deals. You know, I can't get around. I can't do that stuff. I can't build a shop. We can say, well, I don't have enough money. I barely have enough money to get along. We can say, um, you pick an excuse. There's a number of them out there. God isn't worried about the can't. It's like Pastor said, and it's in my notes, that God equips us. He equips us for the journey. But here's the thing, folks. It's like taking a train or a bus ride. We want to plan ahead. We want it all organized, right? Joshua didn't get that. He didn't get the ticket and itinerary ahead of time, the cruise tour package ahead of time. He said, trust me, you take that step, first step onto the train or the bus and I will hand you the ticket. The ride is paid for. And we have to be willing to be obedient and have the courage to step forward. Now, you say, well, what, what can I do? Well, if you're disabled, you could talk to other disabled people, okay? Uh, if you are uh, 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 a prayer warrior, that you can come beside my little new mother here said, I want to be part of your family after seeing them on the screen. I said, you come up. And she's coming up to Idaho. I just invited her up, Louise. (laughs) And so we're going to have a a new mother here, figure. And, and, you know, she can pray for this ministry. I I need all the prayer warriors I can. You can see how goofy I am sometimes. That My wife needs a lot of prayer. (laughs) Okay? And my daughter-in-laws and sons. Uh, you can support. Some of you have the finances and, and the resources to support. Um, a ministry like ours or, or more, even more important is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon's in my will. I just told the kids that they were looking for some big fat check when, when I'm gone and keep throwing boards in front of me to trip over. And I said, I'm giving it all to Mount Hermon. I said, I want one of those plaques out there on the meadow. <laughs> I said, I, on the meadow, can you see it? I mean, I can. Grassy meadows. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I could see myself being buried there. And you all come by and go, yep, that was Jim right there. Grassy meadows. My point is that, that there is something each of us can do. This lady back here, and I'm sorry, I forget your name. She, she's a leader of a support group because she lost her husband eight years ago, if I remember. She looks at me like, hey, he, he remembered. Anyhow, my point is that she joined a support group, and she now leads that group. And so there are things that each of us can do to finish strong and finish well. Um, Get back to my notes. Uh, If you recall the scene, I I love to use movies, my boys do too in, in conversation for illustration, Saving Private Ryan. And if you remember, there was a squad of men that were uh, tasked with the job to find Private Ryan because he had lost all his brothers. What was it, six or seven? Or three other brothers had been lost. He was the fourth, and they were to spare him from being killed because the Ryan family had had enough. And so you remember the movie, they went from one place to another looking for him. They finally ended up in a little town called Rommel. And in order to spare Ryan, um, they had to fight the Germans in this very confined area and help save a bridge. And uh, Captain Miller, John Miller, was critically shot, uh, uh, in critical condition after being shot, And uh, the scene ends that uh, the Americans come in the last minute and blow up things and kill the Germans that were trying to attack them. Uh, Private uh, Ryan was saved, but Captain Miller was dying. In his last breath, you recall, uh, Ryan was bent over looking at him. And he said, James, earn this. Earn this. And then you recall the scene goes to the graveyard. And now, this older man that had fought that World War II and had his children and grandchildren there and stood over John Miller's grave. And he said, with tears running down, I hope I, I deserve this. I hope I earned this. I hope I did well. I hope I finished strong. Now, as Christians, we have to be careful. One thing I wanna make sure you understand that whatever we do should be led of the Lord, should be prayed upon, should be discussed with others, uh, should be uh, verified, if you will, uh, uh, through uh, other conversations, through your prayer and through scripture. But it's not about works that saves us, nor is it about works that we should do because uh, of what's going on or that somehow we want something on the tombstone that talks about our life. That's the second thing I meant to mention about tombstones, the dash and what it said about us. Okay, I remember hearing one guy say, I know what I want on my tombstone and I keep telling my doctor. And I said, what's that? And he said, I told you I was sick, (laughs) you know? Uh, but what do we want on our tombstone beside that dash? And it's, But it's not about works that any man should boast, right? It's about our faith. That's what saves us. But once we're saved, as I rededicated my life right in this auditorium in 1978, God said, I have a plan for you. He spoke to me and gave me a vision that the Silicon Valley was filled with guys like the broken Jim Grousey that were living off tranquilizers, that were crazy for success or fame or money or whatever it was. And he gave me a vision to capture these men and bring them up here with their sons and daughters. That over a weekend experience like I had, they could come to know Jesus, that they could come to follow Jesus and come to balance their life, to overcome the barriers that were in their life, to finish strong and finish well. And we started a fisherman's conference because Chuck Swindle on this porch right up here, he says, tell me your background, son. I told him my background. He says, you're a Hall of Fame fisherman and a record book hunter, and you want to go to seminary and become a pastor? He says, you'll turn guys off, and the the seminary will ruin you. He says, you've got a great entree to men. Your NFL background with the chaplaincy and all this, he said, that's stuff that will bring men in. And sure enough, for 10 years, Sometimes twice a year, spring and fall, we held father-son, our, our, our uh, father-child fishermen's conference down in Redwood. Thousands and thousands of men came to hear the story you just heard, to understand how to start well and finish well. Lives were changed. We'd come up here at the campfire, and strong men that didn't want to be there, I'd ask people ahead of time. How many of you heard about this through the Mount Hermon log? Some hands would go up. How many of you heard about this through a friend? You would go up. How many of you your wife signed you up? 50% of the <laughs> 50% of the hands would go up and the men were there. You know, can we get through this thing? Yeah. And on Sunday those same men those same Jim Grassies were there at the campfire pouring their heart out to Jesus in front of their kids, crying, weeping, asking for forgiveness so that they could become a better dad, just like I did. It's not about me. It's about what God did through me. And God equipped me with that background. He's equipped each of you with something. God doesn't bring you into his family. That is, you accepting Christ as your Savior. You automatically have a gift, and most of you have multiple gifts. And our churches do a lousy job in doing sermons and helping Christians discover what their giftedness is so they can operate in that gift. And we have some resources on our website that can help you do that. In fact, we have a survey that you can take that uh, will help you uh, understand that. Are we living a life that is just focused upon being successful or are we seeking to have a life of success and significance that has eternal significance? As you can tell, one of my heroes of the faith is Chuck Swindoll. I'm going to close so we have some time here. For questions. I got one minute left. Uh, Chuck Swindle, in his book, uh, 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 Living a Rewarding Life, uh, talks about the importance, uh, a life well lived, excuse me, uh, of of finishing well and finishing strong. And um, he, if I can find it in my note, here it is. Uh, Chuck uh, had this to say, which um, uh, is important, and I thought I found it, and I didn't. Uh, and um, in um, here it is. In those best and worst seasons of life, when the cold of winter prunes us back to the stump, we can do little more than mourn our losses cling to our uncertain hope of spring and allow god to strengthen our roots let's say strengthen our roots strengthen our roots in my pr- it is my prayer that we understand the external and internal blessings receive from being obedient to God's plan for our life. The last thing I would say to you, in Rome, back in the time of Christ and thereafter, a conquering general would would come back to Rome with all his medals and all his gatherings that he absconded with, and very prideful, and he'd get in the best chariot they had, laced with gold. And he would ride around the city of Rome for from, dusk to dawn, from dawn to dusk, he'd ride around. And crowds would be waving at him and acknowledging the victory that his army had. On that same chariot would be a guy standing in the back. And he'd see, remember, General, you're going to die someday. Remember, General, someday you're going to die. So as he'd go by a crowd and they'd yell and clap, he used the words momento morte, meaning any minute you could die. And he did that, and they did that to keep the general humble, to realize any minute we could die. Yet this morning, Steve Ferrara passed away. Steve and I are the oldest and longest uh, living people in terms of men's ministry in this country, and he just passed away. We have to all remember memento mori. In thinking about your life, not thinking about death, but thinking what is that legacy? What is it that you want on that tombstone beside, I told him I was sick? <laughs> For me, I want the same thing Joshua asked to be put on his tombstone and that servant of the Lord. Serving of the Lord. We have some books over here. I didn't have a chance to talk about that yesterday because uh, of the closing time. Overcoming barriers—that was what we talked about yesterday. If you didn't pick this up, please get one of these. Even if you have to, if you don't have the money, I'll give them to you to help others to help others with these barriers that so many people are facing. Act Like Men, that's a book I wrote because so few people today that are younger than us understand what biblical manhood looks like. What is manhood from God's standpoint? What does that mean? The uh, other book, The Spiritual Mentor, If you'd like to have a book about discipleship, I've written of 18 books. I think six of them are on discipleship. And this book is the grand masterpiece that I've been able to deliver on discipleship, looking at it from the first century to today and how it's about mentoring, mentoring. That's different than sitting and telling a person something. It's walking with that person. It's journeying with that person. And then um, the book, uh, Finishing Well, Finishing Strong. And for those that would like to have the story I just gave you about my life and the life of our family, there's a few of the 40th anniversary booklets left over there. Those are free. You can have those. But let me ask you, what are some of the things that come to your mind relative to finishing strong and finishing well. What are some of the things? So I'm better volunteer because I'm going to start calling on people. <laughs> yes, sir.
1: He was other f- others focused.
0: Yes. Uh, so much of my life was uh, focused on. Me. Yeah. And, uh,
1: that's kind of I have two daughters, and I, I've had a good relationship with them since they were born. I've poured into them, but it's just encouraging to me to know that as I continue to love them well, and that that that's my legacy. They will carry on. Because my family origin wasn't very good, but they will I've God is able to break the generational curse in my family line, and I can be. Um, God's tool to uh, to change my, my family, but also that my daughters will be my legacy. You know, I'll have others as well, but by
0: loving them well and spending quantity and quality time with them, that um, that was a good thing. Just encouraging me to do that. Amen, amen. Others, how about you? Some of the women, or my new mother here.
1: First in my life. And I raised a family of five, so I wasn't always able to be in church every day, and I'm not bragging. But I come from a Catholic background, very (laughs) ecumenical. And I'm so happy in heaven there will be no denomination. Amen. I don't want to even hear about them. But now I'm able to be at Mass every morning. And I love receiving
0: communion. I right. miss it when I'm not there. I mentioned to
1: Jr. today, I'm sorry we're not praying before we eat. How come? Because we always had a director who led a prayer
0: before. Even if we started to eat before right. we I agree. I agree. I am thrilled
1: when people say, how do you accept that? Like when my oldest daughter died, how can we? And I always say, it's not me, it's (laughs) That's right.
0: Well, thank you I have oh my gosh praise God yeah thank you well through your witness and through your modeling they will know him and anybody else before we close in prayer That's right. That's exactly right, brother. You caught it. Be my witness. It's not about doing. It's not about works. It's about what God wants us to do in following that plan, and sometimes we have to wait and wait and wait to hear that plan. Let me just pray for us, and I'm going to pray for the food. I'm like you. Uh, We came here for... 20, 30 years and we always had grace and I don't think it's uh, a uh, intentional thing that they're trying to transition into something else. I just think that they're short on staff and I'm sure the tag team that normally happens isn't here. The guy who usually runs the conference uh, is gone at a wedding and so I think it's just a little oversight. I want to thank you folks for being here. And uh, again, whatever resources we can make available, go to our website, Men's Ministry Catalyst. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm not saying this boastfully because there's this guy right here saying to me, I'm a "Memento mori, dude." <laughs> uh, you will find our Men's Ministry web website is uh, is what everybody's saying that it is the most uh, diverse and Uh, best-equipped website uh, for particularly men in the world. And that's why we do our work in Africa and New Zealand and all over. So it's mensministry.org. Yeah. So let me uh, pray for us. And uh, thank you for your attentiveness. Thank you for hanging with me through some of my bad jokes and stuff. But uh, I do appreciate you being here. Father God, I thank you for these people as they sit here and have learned of my testimony of the defining moments in my life that have changed my life, that have changed my family, that have changed our hearts. We thank you, God, for who you are. I thank you for our children that grew up in this culture here at Mount Hermon and have found their way forward as their children are finding and Father, I pray for each person here, for their families they represent, for their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, that Father, you'll just um, help them discover the truths that transform a life. Help us as individuals to finish strong and finish well, and that we can stand before you as Christ did and hear these words, well done, ye good and faithful servant." In Jesus' name we pray for this food that'll strengthen and nourish us for thy service. In the name we pray. Amen.